Don't forget you can follow along with the locations in this episode on our interactive VR map. The link is on our website, 122675.com, on the page for episode 10. This is BPD Report Shipley, October 24th, 1975. October 23rd, 1975. This agent contacted Tom, 11 years old, Emerald Street, Basilia. He stated that on Monday, 10 he was skating with a friend at Icelandia. At 21:30 hours, the skating rink closed and he and his friend left en route to Tom's residence. At approximately 21:40 hours, Tom was dropped off at his residence and his friend left. Tom found that there was no one at home at his residence and he was going to have to let himself in. He stated that his family had a house key hidden in the backyard of the residence. Tom walked across the front yard and entered the backyard by way of a gate located at the north side of the residence. As he entered the backyard, the fence gate slammed shut, making a loud noise. Tom looked to the south and observed a white male adult running away from his bedroom window run southwards towards the fence located at the southern border of the property. Tom became frightened and ran northbound to the neighbor's residence and reported the occurrence to them. The neighbor and Tom checked Tom's backyard with negative results. Tom described the subject responsible as being approximately 5'10 to 6 foot, 150 pounds, with light-colored brown hair, wearing a blue jacket and blue Levi's. No further description. This is VPD Report Bonn, October 27, 1975. On October 23, 1975, Thursday, at 0600 hours, this officer and Agent McGowan transported Mrs. Snelling and Beth Snelling to the Los Angeles Police Department Parker Center for a new phase of this homicide investigation. Arrangements had been made with a special investigative unit of the Los Angeles Police Department to utilize hypnosis in an attempt to determine an accurate account of the events of the homicide and to possibly bring to the surface any facts which Beth may have forgotten or blocked from her memory due to her experiencing such an emotional experience. Beth recalled the events of the evening of September 10, 1975 by saying that her boyfriend came over to visit. The air conditioning was not working, and she heard a noise outside her bedroom window before her boyfriend arrived, but after dark, and she looked out, but she didn't see anything. She went on to relate that her boyfriend left around 10 p.m., and she went to bed at around 10.30 p.m. The next event recalled by Beth was being awakened by the suspect lying prone, face down on top of her on the bed. She thought it was a joke being played on her by her younger brother, Eric, who had done this before. The suspect had his right hand on her face, covering her mouth and nose, and his left hand on her right arm. She stated that his face was covered by a black ski mask with white stripes running horizontally near the mouth. She recalled that his face was about six inches from hers, and the operator asked her to breathe in and tell us what he smelled like, but she could not smell any odors. She stated that his hand on her mouth and the hand on her arm was damp, as if he was perspiring slightly. She was sure that he did not wear gloves and described his hands as having short, stubby fingers, which were not soft, but not rough. She could not smell any odor on his hand. From observing the hair on the back of his hands and his eyelashes and eyebrows, she stated that he was not black-headed. She observed no rings, scars, moles, or other distinguishing marks on the suspect's hands. Beth related that before he removed his right hand, he stated, Don't scream or I'll stab you. She described the voice as being a low, masculine whisper. At this point, the suspect stood up while drawing the gun from his left rear pocket with his left hand. 
As Beth was pulled out of her bed, the suspect stated, You're coming with me. Don't scream or I'll shoot you. Beth recalled that this was the last time the suspect spoke. Beth then related how the suspect pulled her out through the house with his right hand on her left arm and kept ahead of her out the back door. Beth was quick to answer that the suspect was 5'10 in height, but would not state his weight in pounds. She did say that he was medium build. When asked if the suspect was under 20 years old, she quickly answered no. When asked if he was 20 to 25, she shook her head no, but then stated maybe. When asked if he was 25 to 30, she answered yes. And when she was asked if he was 30 to 35, she shook her head no, but again stated maybe. She stated that she assumed his age from his voice, physical features, and his mannerisms. Beth was asked if the suspect could have been a woman, and she quickly answered no. Beth was asked if she could describe the suspect's face under the mask, and she related that she felt his face was round, not square or oblong. She kept saying that the jaw was large or wide. Beth described the clothing worn by the suspect as being a dark-colored windbreaker jacket, which was zipped up to the neck and came down to just below the waist. She could not observe any pockets, but did recall that the cuffs were tight around his wrists, as if they were snapped or tight elastic. She stated that his pants were dark slacks, not Levi's, with no pant cuff. She stated his shoes were not boots, sandals, or dress shoes, but were like soft tennis shoes, and that he was definitely not barefooted. She could not recall the color. Beth went on to relate that she kept asking the suspect, why are you doing this and where are you taking me? But the suspect remained silent. The suspect kept pulling Beth out of the rear door of the house across the patio area toward the garage and then out through the gate at the far end of the short cyclone fence separating the patio from the driveway area. Beth stated at that point she heard her father coming and saw him come out the back door and down the steps. She recalled that her father had a mad look on his face and was raising his arms out to come over the fence closest to the house. The suspect let go of her arm, and she fell to the driveway from the momentum of her resisting his pulling. She stated that the suspect was on the street side of her, and that she was between the suspect and the garage. She stated that the suspect raised the gun in his left hand and shot at the left side of her father. This is concluded to be the bullet which entered the left outside arm, eventually remaining in the body. Her father then spun around to the left, and the suspect fired again. This is concluded to be the bullet which entered the right side of the victim's chest and exited the body, eventually going through the glass window in the rear door. Beth went on to relate that as her father ran back into the house, the suspect pointed the gun at her head, then dropped it to his side and kicked her three times in the face. She stated that she sat there momentarily and observed the suspect run westbound down the driveway toward the front of the house and into the darkness. She never heard or saw a vehicle leave. When asked to describe the weapon, Beth could only say it was black and had a short barrel. During the trip back to Vesalia, she stated that she was not good at guessing the person's weight, but she felt that the suspect weighed more than her boyfriend, who weighs about 170 pounds. She stated that the suspect was not six foot tall. It's really important to discuss Beth's hypnosis here. One of the reasons that criminal convictions have been overturned based on witness hypnosis is because if it's done improperly, it can be suggestive. In this case, when Beth stated she couldn't really guess the weight of her attacker, she was asked to focus on how heavy he felt on top of her. To be clear, when he was on top of her, she could not move her legs at all, or her right arm. His hand was over her mouth and nose, suffocating her. To Beth, it probably felt like he weighed two tons. This question continued to bother Beth on the way home from the hypnosis, and that was the point a month after the attack, when she convinced herself he must have weighed more than 170. When we discussed this with Vaughn, who was there, he said he and McGowan agreed to go with this higher weight for the ransacker. They truly believed that the hypnosis was cutting-edge science, 
and that instead of changing her mind, Beth had remembered something entirely new. This is the first time Beth mentioned stubby fingers, and it's a strange detail to add after describing his hands in prior interviews. The idea that he wasn't wearing gloves is also very odd, because they found no possible suspect fingerprints on the screen, door lock, purse, or anything else they dusted for prints at the scene. Maybe he was wearing gloves and that made his fingers look stubby in the dark. We haven't heard the entire hypnosis tape, so it's difficult to know what line of questioning made Beth focus on the fingers. This is another detail that VPD decided to add to the suspect description based on this hypnosis session. Beth was all over the map on the age. She made no age determination prior to the hypnosis, and at the session, she said maybe to both 20 and 35 and she admitted that she was guessing based on his voice and physical features, which were both disguised, and his mannerisms, which seemed controlling and certain. This is VPD Report, Sergeant Vaughn, October 28, 1975. On October 24, 1975, Friday, at 2300 hours, this officer responded to two houses on West Campus regarding possible ransack burglaries. The area around both houses was checked, and the rear yards of both houses are adjacent to a private road running westbound from Woodland. The first house has the rear yard open to this road, while the second house has an enclosed rear yard. The area to the rear of said residences is totally dark. No evidence could be located to show that the suspect entered the rear yards, except for the points of entry both being at the rear of both dwellings. The fence around the second house was examined, and large amounts of leaves and debris were observed on the top crossbeam, and no area disturbed was located. At the second residence, this officer observed only the sliding glass door at the rear of the house being the north side and toward the east corner to be open. No points of escape were located, but the occupants are an elderly couple who have large amounts of knickknacks on all of the window ledges, thus making a time-consuming effort to allow areas of escape. Upon checking the locking device on the point of entry sliding glass door, it was found to be broken. From close examination of the Primark and the inferior quality of the latch on the door, it can be concluded that the suspect used a pry tool, possibly a screwdriver with a 7 16th pry width. With one penetration of the pry tool between the door frame and the vertical track, the suspect was able to pop the locking latch, thus breaking the latch itself, with half of it staying within the vertical track and half staying with the door as it was slid open. Once inside of this residence, it is theorized that the suspect was more intent on making a mess of the interior than he was in locating loot. It was noted, many items were strewn about, but many items were left in drawers. In the kitchen area, it appeared as if the suspect only opened drawers and cabinets for the sole reason of attracting attention. In the main bedroom, it was noted that female underpants were thrown about the room, but mainly on the floor, while slips and nightgowns were thrown or laid upon the bed. Items were examined for masturbation discharge, but no evidence of same was located. Jewelry boxes were opened and thrown on the floor of the bedroom, and a tin box, which the victim stated had contained coins, was found on the floor empty. A detailed search for property taken or other items of evidence with the residence was suspended until ID technicians arrived to continue their investigation. Investigating officer then proceeded next door to the west to the second house. 
It was observed that the suspect approached the rear of the residence from an unknown direction and proceeded to pry open the rear sliding glass door on the north side at the west corner. The same 716th pry width was again noted, and only one penetration was utilized, and again the locking latch was snapped in two. Once inside this residence, it appeared that the suspect spent much less time and may have been frightened off by the police arriving at the first house next door. A chrome two-cell flashlight was observed on the kitchen counter, standing upright with the glass beam portion being down. It was unknown at this time if it belonged to this victim, as the occupant was not present. The flashlight was later confiscated by ID technicians. In the kitchen, four drawers were found to be in an open position in a counter against the west wall. The oddity of these drawers was that they were each pulled out to exactly the same position and appeared to have been done to again draw attention. None of these drawers had the contents disturbed. The only other room in this residence which was disturbed was the northeast bedroom. Drawers were open and contents ransacked, and new packages of hosiery were noted to have been thrown out of the bedroom into the hallway. Female underclothing was thrown around the bedroom, and slips and nightgowns were left on the bed. One black nightgown was observed to be neatly folded on the head of the bed, partially on the lower portion of the pillows, and a monogram jewelry box lid was carefully laid on top of the slip, pointing toward the door to the bedroom. It is felt that the suspect again did this just to leave his calling card. All female underclothing was examined, and no evidence of masturbation discharge could be detected. The window on the north side of this bedroom at the east corner was observed to be in the wide open position. This point of escape was accomplished by unlocking the window and cranking it open from the inside. Dirt and dust on the window ledge was not disturbed, and the ground below indicated that the suspect did not exit the dwelling through this point. This residence was again left uncontaminated for further investigation by the ID officers. This is VPD Report Sergeant Vaughn, December 2, 1975. On December 1, 1975, 1530 hours, I contacted the spouse of the victim of Residence 1 above for the second time regarding what property was taken in the burglary on 1024-75. Victim related that they still had not time to completely check the residence to make a final list of property missing. She did state that the below described items are missing as of this date. Number one, six pairs of men's sleeveless undershirts. Two, six pair of men's undershorts. Three, one antique billy club or policeman's baton. Number four, approximately $200 in currency, including one $50 bill. Five, small amount of old coins. Six, two nightgowns, one white with black lace ruffles, one pink. Number seven, several kitchen knives. Number eight, assorted jewelry, including one cufflink, one garnet earring, and one silver earring. Victim was asked if she would prepare a complete list of property with adequate descriptions, and she stated she would do this and contact this officer. This is VPD Report, Agent Shipley, October 30th, 1975. Friday, October 24th, 1975, 2330 hours. This agent responded to Redwood Drive regarding a possible ransack burglary. On arrival, this agent checked the surrounding yard. Fresh tennis shoe tracks were found in the dirt located at the fence gate located at the north side of the residence where the suspect apparently entered the backyard. 
A similar tennis shoe track was found on the patio near the sliding glass door located on the east side of the residence. A fresh pry mark was found on the patio door where the suspect apparently tried to pry the sliding glass door. Photos of foot tracks were made by DPD ID technician Bill West. Pry marks were also found at the front door and at the kitchen window. Both were attempts and no entry was gained at either location. The point of entry was a door located on the south side of the residence that leads from a breezeway into the kitchen. The suspect had gained entry by chopping through the doorstop and prying the lock's back set and striker plate. Each pry mark location at the residence appeared to have been made by a large screwdriver with approximately a half-inch bite. Each of the pry marks were photographed by Bill West. The suspect, after gaining entry, ransacked the kitchen area, opening all the drawers and scattering items about. The only items missing from the kitchen area was a wood-handled claw hammer, no further description. This agent checked all the windows in the residence, and the only window found open was a bathroom window located at the front of the residence, just north of the front door. The screen was not removed, and the window was possibly opened by the suspect so he could hear any noise at the front of the residence. The victim had numerous items, knickknacks, etc., placed on the sills of each window, making it difficult for the subject to clear a window for escape. The suspect ransacked the bedroom located in the northwest corner of the residence and scattered items from closets and chest of drawers all over the floor. He removed women's underwear, bra, and panties from the chest of drawers. He placed one bra on the floor of the closet and another bra on the floor underneath the edge of the bed. Numerous pairs of panties were placed on the pillows at the head of the bed. The bedrooms at the northeast corner of the residence were ransacked and women's underwear scattered about. Numerous panties were piled on the pillows at the head of the bed. The glass sliding door was found standing open when the victim returned home. The suspect either left by way of the glass sliding door or opened it for an escape route. The victim had no blue chip stamps at the time of the offense. While this agent was investigating the above burglary, another burglary was reported at the apartments on County Center. This agent proceeded to County Center Drive. Victim was contacted. He stated he left his residence at approximately 20-30 hours and returned approximately 0100 hours, found his apartment burglarized. On checking, it was found that the suspect gained entry to the apartment by prying the lock to the sliding glass door located on the east side of the apartment, and after gaining entry, the suspect went to the front door, locked a chain lock, apparently to detain the victim if he returned home while the suspect was inside the residence. The suspect ransacked the entire residence and apparently took one 12-karat gold metal ring with a large lavender stone, one clip-type flower design earring, and one silver metal earring, one costume jewelry-type earring for pierced ear, and one jade pin carved in the shape of a Buddha. There were no women's underclothing strewn about due to them being packed in suitcases unobserved by the suspect. The victim didn't own any blue-chip stamps. The suspect did remove a bottle of Vaseline hand lotion from the downstairs bathroom, removed the cap, threw it on the floor, and placed the bottle on the bathroom sink. No hand lotion was found spread around the floors or any other location. The yards around the victim's apartment was not checked at that time due to automatic sprinklers being in operation. October 27, 1975. This agent and Agent McGowan contacted the resident on Redwood Drive who lives on the first house north of victim number two's residence and on the same side of the street. 
She stated that on the night of the burglary, at approximately 20.30 hours, she observed a figure run from between her residence and the victim's residence. The figure ran westward across the street and into the yard located on Redwood Drive. This is the Fisher residence. The figure ran down the south side of the Fisher's house and disappeared into the backyard. Mr. Fisher on Redwood was contacted. He advised that on the night of the burglary, he heard a noise on the south side of his residence. He went out and checked, but saw nothing. He stated he heard the noise sometime between 2030 and 2200 hours. Mr. Fisher's back fence was checked and no foot tracks could be located due to Mr. Fisher raking his backyard prior to the agent's checking. Mud was found on the fence located at the extreme west portion of Mr. Fisher's property. It appeared that someone had climbed over the fence and dropped down into the backyard of the county center apartments. The patio areas of the apartment complex were checked and tennis shoe tracks were found in the area directly across the fence where the mud was found on Mr. Fisher's fence. The tracks were similar to those found in other burglaries. The tracks were followed northbound to the patio area behind the apartment complex. Each patio is individually fenced off, but each fence has an opening that connects each patio. The tracks were followed to the rear of the apartment complex located on County Center. Two of the apartments at that address had pry marks on the windows where possibly the suspect had attempted to break into these apartments without success. The pry marks were similar to those found at the other burglaries. The foot tracks in question were photographed by BPD ID technician Bill West. On a prior occasion, Mr. Fisher observed a subject in his backyard that went over his back fence at the same location when he was discovered by Mr. Fisher. This is VPD Report McGowan, October 29, 1975. October 24, 1975, 13.50 hours, Friday. Reporting officer and agent Shipley went to the College of Sequoia's journalism department and contacted the editor of the school newspaper and the secretary to Mr. Snelling. She was questioned in regard to if she had any information in reference to the Snelling homicide, and she related that on the Monday prior to the Snelling murder, September 8, 1975, she had gone to Tulare with Mr. Snelling in reference to some school business and journalism business, and he had stated that recently he had had a prowler who he had caught, and the subject had run from the residence. She related further that she had heard about the incident last May, but she thought Mr. Snelling was talking about a recent incident, the way the conversation went, and he had indicated that it was more recent than the May prowling incident. She stated further that he mentioned to her that recently someone had pried open the glove box on both of his vehicles which were parked at his residence in the carport. However, nothing was taken. She does not believe that he reported this to the police. This is VPD Report Gomes, October 29, 1975. Supplemental Report regarding Beth Snelling's statement. During initial investigation, victim described the suspect to reporting officer as being a white male adult of unknown age or identity, approximately 5 foot 9 inches tall, weighing approximately 150 pounds. Victim described suspect as wearing a dark colored shirt and a ski mask during the commission of the offense. She additionally was able to describe the ski mask as being black in color with eyes and mouth portion cut out and having white stripes with multicolored zigzag design. October 29, 1975, West Kawea took an empty suitcase and a dozen cans of assorted food, ransacked rooms through female underclothing, placed an item inside the door as a warning, left multiple points of escape. Shoe tracks photographed. 
On Monday, 11-3-75 at 10.30 hours, victim Jones called and reported that the following items are the only things missing from his house. 1. A woman's purse, black in color, leather type with strap, inexpensive and empty. Number 2. Man's wedding ring, light gold with a one-quarter inch square base with stone on top and engraved lines running up each side of the base. Also has 750 imprinted from the inside of the band. Investigation continues. This is VPD Report Shipley, November 4th, 1975. November 3rd, 1975, 9.30 hours. This agent and Agent McGowan contacted both victims, Jones and Smith. The backyard of the Jones residence was checked with negative results. The Smith backyard was checked and a partial foot track was found near the fence located at the extreme north edge of the Smith property. Another similar foot track was found on the patio area on the east side of the residence. The partial foot tracks that were found are similar to those found at two burglaries which occurred prior to this date. The residence located behind the Smith residence was checked. Residence was found to be on Evergreen. Similar tennis shoe tracks were found in this backyard. Tracks were followed over the back fence into the Smith backyard. A neighbor on Evergreen was contacted. She stated that on the night of the burglary, at approximately 8.30 p.m., her dog was barking very loudly and looking toward her front gate. Approximately 10 minutes later, the dog started barking at the back fence. This agent found tennis shoe tracks in her front yard next to the front gate. Smith lives directly behind her. This agent and Agent McGowan located tennis shoe tracks in the area. The suspect was westbound on foot from a vacant lot in the area of Wittendale and Sally Lane. The tracks were followed west. This is VPD Report Sergeant Bond, November 3, 1975. On Sunday, November 2, 1975, this officer responded to two residences on Country Lane in reference to possible ransack burglaries. Upon arrival, it was noted that the houses are located within an area previously not attacked by the ransacker. This area is within the western limit, but is several blocks south of the southern limit. At the Jones residence, no pry marks could be located on any exterior door or window frames. The window described as the point of entry was the only possible way the suspect could have entered unless the rear door had been left unlocked. Due to the excessive damage to the screen from this window, it is concluded that the suspect did spend some length on the outside of this point. Immediately below this window was a cement patio and no foot or shoe prints would have been left. Two points of escape were noted beside the point of entry one point being the rear door and the second point being the window on the north side of the master bedroom. Both points of escape were unlocked and opened from the inside by the suspect. Female underclothing was thrown about the master bedroom and the guest bedroom at the rear northeast portion of the house. Female underclothing was also observed lying on the bed near the pillows. It was also noted that in the secondary bedroom there were two oddities one being that the suspect carefully laid female underclothing about the mattress of the baby crib, and secondly, the suspect left a jewelry box in an open condition on the large bed with a $50 bill, a $20 bill, a $10 bill, and other bills of U.S. currency in an obvious display. As in other recent similar ransack burglaries, it was observed that many drawers were opened in the kitchen and hallway which showed nothing disturbed. At the Smith residence, no pry marks could be located on any exterior door or window frames, and it was determined that the suspect entered through an already opened sliding glass door at the rear of the house. 
The point of escape was noted in the rear master bedroom, where the window was observed to be wide open and the window screen left lying on the bed. The window appeared to have been unlocked and opened from the inside, and no evidence of entry or exit through this window could be detected. In the master bedroom, it was observed that female underclothing was thrown about only on the floor. Sweaters, pants, and other articles of exterior clothing were thrown on the bed. In plain view, on top of a low cedar chest against the east wall of this same bedroom, there was a stack of three quarters and one dime which were left untouched. A search of the immediate yards around both houses was conducted, but due to darkness, no distinguishable shoe tracks could be detected. Further search of adjoining yards and a neighborhood canvas will be conducted during daylight hours on November 3, 1975. This is VPD Report, Sergeant Vaughn, November 10th, 1975. November 6, 1975, Thursday, at around 22.15 hours. Responded to a possible ransack burglary on West Tulare. Upon arrival, the residence was observed to have been ransacked in the typical fashion of our suspect. Suspect entered the residence by removing an aluminum screen with his hands from an already open window at the rear south side of the sun porch on the east side of the house. Once inside this room, the suspect pried open a locked door with a pry tool, having a pry width of 7 sixteenths inches, gaining entry into the house proper. Evidence pointing to our ransacker inside the residence were that the female underclothing was thrown on the bed in the rear bedroom at the southwest corner of the residence, and numerous jewelry boxes were dumped. Also noted was a framed 5 by 7 photograph of a young, attractive female turned down on a dresser and a small photograph of two small children were turned upside down. The drapes in both bedrooms were partially opened by the suspect, possibly as a way of noticing the return of the homeowners, and a chair was placed against the front door as a further aid for his escape. The only oddity of this case was that the suspect apparently opened the refrigerator in the kitchen, as a bottle of grape juice and a quart carton of chocolate milk were found on the floor in front of the refrigerator. On November 7, 1975, Friday morning, this officer and Agent Stenbach returned to the above residence on West Tulare for a search of the exterior during daylight hours. No rain had fallen during the night. Photographs were taken of the pry marks on the door previously described. In the rear yard, which was unusually large and only fenced on two sides, numerous tennis shoe tracks were found. The imprint appeared to have been of the same design as observed in other ransacked burglaries. Several photos were taken by Agent Stenbach of the most identifiable tracks. It appeared that the suspect entered the area from the southwest toward Giddings and left the area to the south where a short, dead-end section of iris ends against the fence. It may also be mentioned at this point that the ransacker has changed his M.O. or pattern twice in the past ten days, one being that he moved out of his area for the two burglaries on Country Lane, and secondly, he hit on a Thursday for the first time since his burglaries began, including 1974. This is VPD Report Vaughn. November 17, 1975. November 7, 1975, Friday. Between 1700 to 2300 hours, six officers were detailed as stakeout units in three areas on the west side of Mooney in strategic areas frequented by a ransacker. Three paths where shoe tracks were located were sprayed with invisible fluorescent spray in an effort to track the suspect. November 8, 1975, Saturday. 
Between 1,700 to 2,300 hours, six officers were again detailed in the same deployment as previously described. No suspicious activities were recorded. November 9, 1975, Sunday. Between 1,700 to 2,300 hours, six officers were again deployed, and at 1,925 hours, a prowler was reported at 2405 West College. Area was checked by several officers, but the subject could not be located. November 10, 1975, Monday, 1,000 hours. Agents McGowan and Shipley returned to 2405 West College and searched several yards for foot tracks, but none could be located. November 13, 1975, Thursday. Between 1,800 to 2,200 hours, nine officers were detailed as stakeout units in four areas frequented by a ransacker. No suspicious activities were reported. November 14, 1975, Friday. Between 1,800 to 2,200 hours, nine officers were again deployed in the same manner. At around 2,120 hours, two more officers working the upper right quarter on bicycles near Ellis and Terenz reported observing a male walking rapidly across Myrtle, south to north, in the block just east of Dolner. Both officers stated that they were about one block to the west and quickly rode to the yard where the subject was last observed. This officer arrived, and the area was thoroughly checked, but the subject could not be located. Several residents were contacted, and no one stated that they had been out of their homes. No shoe tracks could be found. November 15, 1975, Saturday. Between 1,800 to 2,200 hours, nine officers were again deployed in the same manner. November 16, 1975, Sunday. Between 1,800 to 2,200 hours, nine officers were again deployed in the same manner. This is VPD Report, Bonn, November 24, 1975. November 21, 1975, 1745 hours, Friday. Twenty officers were briefed and deployed in nine strategic areas where this ransacker has been known to travel. These special units were deployed between 6 p.m. and 10 p.m., except for Team 9, who were assigned from 6 p.m. to 11.15 p.m. near Iris and Demarie. November 22, 1975, 1800 hours, Saturday. Twenty officers were again deployed in the same manner as previously described, and no activities were reported. November 23, 1975, 1800 hours, Sunday. Nineteen officers were again deployed in the same manner as previously described. The ransacker struck four times on Monday, December 1, 1975. On West College, he stole a shaving kit, an attache case, 20 pages of Easter seals, Christmas stamps, and threw around women's underwear. The underwear was all turned inside out. Tennis shoe tracks confirmed that it was a consistent size and pattern with the ransacker. On Beverly Drive, the victim's dog apparently scared off the suspect. A window was pried open, but the suspect retreated through the point of entry. Shoe prints and photos confirmed the consistent pattern. On South Central, tracks were located that matched the ransacker. They were able to see that a window had been left open as an escape route. No further details available. VPD Report, Agent McGowan, December 8, 1975. Reporting agents followed the tracks onto the patio of the Heinz residence and onto the porch. At that time, noticed the back door of said residence had been pried on numerous times as there were fresh pry marks around the locking device and there were chips of wood that appeared to be fresh on the back porch. 
Said door was secure at this time as officers checked the same. It also appeared that no one was home at the Hines residence. Reporting officers then followed the tennis shoe tracks from the back porch out onto the patio and in a south direction around some bushes in the backyard and to a fence at the rear of Heinz's residence. Said tennis shoe tracks disappeared at the back fence and reappeared as the suspect climbed said fence and went into a yard which was facing Myrtle Street and appeared to disappear in a south direction. Reporting officers were then contacted at the scene by victim 4, Heinz, who identified herself as a registered nurse working at Kawea Delta Hospital, related that she works nights and usually sleeps during the daytime. However, she was contacted by a neighbor who advised her that the police were checking around her residence. Therefore, she came home from her daughter's house. She was advised of the tracks in her yard and of the attempted entry, and she related that she discovered the attempt burglary on the previous evening, Monday, 12175 at around 9.30 p.m. She related that she was in bed sleeping. She works nights at the hospital, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. She was awakened at approximately 9.30 p.m. when she heard prying noises on her back door being the kitchen door. She related she turned on the bedroom light and walked into the kitchen, turning on the kitchen light and then turned on the backyard light. However, she did not see anybody. She related she checked the back door and noted numerous pry marks around the locking device. She related further, when she checked the door after hearing the prying noise, the said door was still locked. She stated further she must have scared the intruder off and does not feel he was able to gain entry into her residence. She was asked why she did not report the incident on the previous evening when it was discovered, and she related that due to the fact that there had been numerous burglaries in the area, and she is somewhat scared, and she works nights, she did not feel it was necessary to report it because the suspect did not gain entry and did not steal anything. Reporting agent and Agent Shipley summoned ID tech George Jewett to the scene. He took photographs of the footprints and pry marks, noted that the pry marks appeared to be that of a 7 inch pry tool. The neighborhood was checked, including nearby residences for any other burglaries with negative results. The VR added a new element to his MO in 1975. He started bringing hand lotion with him to the scenes and leaving it or using hand lotion from the ransacked home and moving it to another room and or leaving it open. VPD suspected he was masturbating in the victim's bedrooms, but they were never able to gather any evidence to prove that theory. In addition, he also started stealing other potential weapons, like knives and the antique billy club. By this point in the ransacking series, VPD had learned a lot about his patterns and routines and suspected that he was working established peeping routes regularly checking on certain stalking victims. His target seemed to be female Mount Whitney high students, and many also attended Beth Snelling's church, First Baptist. VPD's investigation was helped in large part by the fact that the ransacker wore a consistent pair of men's size 9 Converse All-Stars. The shoes may have had another particularly identifiable feature. VPD Report, Officer Dunn, October 29, 1975. On October 28, 1975, at 2239 hours, officer on routine patrol in the 2100 block of West Tulare and observed herein described other subject walking westbound on Tulare. Officer stopped and approached the subject and observed him to be wearing tennis shoes and same were examined and found that the soles were consistent with description given reference to this case. Subject was cooperative and agreed to accompany officer to VPD, whereas upon arrival, ink impressions were taken of subject's tennis shoe soles and photographs taken by Lieutenant Dale Treese. Subject dressed in tennis shoes being purchased at Kinney's Shoe Store, consistent with shoe marks sought in this report bearing the small letters in the middle of the shoe of NBA. 
This report can be read one of two ways. The MBA lettering on the sole made them consistent with the VR shoes, meaning the VR shoes contained that lettering. Or this kid's shoes were consistent with the VR shoes and happened to have the lettering too. Sergeant Vaughn doesn't remember that detail of the shoe prints either way, and current VPD won't confirm it. You can see a pair of these special edition NBA Converse All-Stars from that year in the photos posted to episode 10 on our website. This is VPD Report Vaughn, December 4, 1975. In an effort to illustrate possible correlation between the suspected burglar labeled as the ransacker and the Snelling homicide, the following points arise. 1. Murder weapon was a 38 caliber Morocco revolver stolen in a burglary ransack 11 days prior. 2. The screen was removed from the Snelling residence and hidden in a peculiar manner, similar to past ransack burglaries. 3. The rear door of the Snelling residence was left open and the rear window was left wide open as possible points of escape, similar to past ransack burglaries. Number four, the Snelling residence is in the number one area victimized by the ransacker. Number five, suspect wore a ski mask as the ransacker did on a possible past ransack burglary, which was unreported but was substantiated by Jane Smith at 1501 West Kawea on July 24, 1975. Number six, Suspect left little physical evidence as the ransacker has left little physical evidence in all of his burglaries. Number seven, a Taurus revolver taken in a ransack burglary was found in a ditch eight days after the homicide. Number eight, a chrome two-cell flashlight taken in a ransack burglary at 510 Redwood on August 30th, 1975, was found at the rear of 530 Redwood nine days after the homicide, all in area number one. 9. An abandoned bicycle was found in the yard at 615 Redwood on the morning of the homicide, and this yard appears to be traveled by the ransacker, as two persons observed a subject and shoe tracks were found nearby. Number 10. The physical descriptions given by Beth Snelling and Jane Smith were similar and could fit the same person. Number 11. Neither the murderer nor the ransacker have been identified or apprehended. In an effort to show correlation between the Moroku burglary and the ransack burglaries, the following points are offered. Number one, it occurred on a day of the week frequently used by the ransacker. Number two, it occurred during the appropriate times of the evening. Number three, it is well within the right area. Number four, took 12-gauge shotgun shells minus the boxes, as the ransacker had done prior to this burglary, and also after it. Five, took items of inexpensive jewelry. Six, removed screen and left points of escape. Seven, ransacked bedrooms. Eight, threw female underclothing. Nine, laid shorts out in a line down the hallway. 10, it is a corner house, as were 20 others. This is VPD Report McGowan, December 19, 1975. Tuesday, December 9, 1975, 1600 hours. Reporting agent was contacted by Mrs. Smith, who resides at 1501 West Kawea, who related that she had discovered tennis shoe tracks under her daughter's bedroom window, referring to Jane Smith, 19 years. She related further that this officer in the past had requested her to remove the leaves from around her daughter's bedroom window and to rake that particular area and check frequently for any tracks. She related further that her daughter, Jane had checked the dirt under her bedroom window on Saturday, December 6, 1975, sometime in the afternoon, and the tracks were not there at that time. 
This officer went to the Smith residence and checked the dirt area under Jane's bedroom window and observed numerous tennis shoe tracks and an indentation in the dirt that appeared to be made by some type of object. The tracks were measured and checked by a reporting agent and believed to be the same tracks made by the same subject known as the ransacked burglar. They were tracks of a Converse tennis shoe and appeared to have been made by a fairly new tennis shoe. This officer noted that the tracks led from the two bedroom windows on the northwest corner of the residence back to the two bathroom windows on the west side of the residence and that the tracks then led in a westerly direction to the front yard of the residence at 1505 West Kawea. This residence is adjoining the Smith residence. This officer then observed a round pot which was sitting in the flower bed at the front of the next door residence which appeared to be similar in the measurements to the circular indentations made in the dirt under the window of Jane Smith. Reporting officer picked up the pot which was empty, carried it over to the indentations under Jane's window and fitted same in the indentations and noted that obviously the pot was carried from next door to the point under Jane Smith's window and used by the suspect to stand on same and looked into said bedroom window. It was also noted that these circular indentations were under the bathroom window. It was also noted that the pot was carried by the suspect and carefully placed back in its original position. At this time, this officer advised Agent Shipley and made contact with the residence next door and made arrangements to stake out his garage in reference to the prowler at the Smith residence, as it was believed that this is the same suspect known as the ransacker. This is VPD Report Sergeant Vaughn, December 15, 1975. Monday, December 8, 1975. Between 1800 and 2200 hours, six officers were deployed within the upper right quarter of the ransacker's area. At approximately 1910 hours, this officer responded to a residential 459 on Sioux Lane. Upon arrival, the residence was checked and appeared to have been burglarized by the same suspect labeled as the ransacker. It did appear that the suspect may have been in the residence when the victim arrived due to the lack of completion as compared to other ransacked burglaries. It did appear that this burglary points to the fact that the master bedroom was the first objective of the suspect. This room was only moderately ransacked as compared to other burglaries. A few articles of female underclothing were thrown about the room and on the bed. No points of escape were located other than the point of entry. Due to the opinion that the suspect may have been scared off and never completely ransacked the other rooms, and also due to extremely heavy fog, no ID technicians were called out. Tennis shoe tracks appearing to be the same as observed at numerous other ransacked burglaries were located in the dirt on the east side of the residence and also in the rear yard. Tracks were protected until further follow-up could be investigated at a later time. December 13, 1975. 22.40 hours, December 10, 1975. This agent was dispatched to West Laurel regarding a possible ransack burglary. Upon arrival, this agent contacted the victim and his wife who admitted this agent to the residence and after observation of the condition of the residence, this officer noting that there were two escape routes, one being a bedroom window left open and a sliding glass door open, and the fact that the interior of the bedrooms were in in the same condition as noted in prior ransacked burglaries, a determination was made that this was in fact a ransacked burglary. This agent at this time requested that the victim and his wife find another lodging with friends or at a motel until such time as the lab technicians from the regional lab in Fresno could be contacted and come to the scene in an attempt to process the scene for any physical evidence to which the victim and his wife agreed. 
It was noted at this time that the victim stated that one thing he did know for sure that was missing was a large amount of pennies that had been contained in a distilled spirits bottle which was now empty and laying on the bed of his daughter in the northeast corner of his residence. This agent at this time requested BPD dispatcher contacted regional lab in Fresno for their assistance in regard to this matter. This agent was advised that the latent print expert and the criminalist from the regional lab were en route and would be there within an hour to an hour and a half. The victim and his wife advised that they would stay with friends until such time as they were contacted by this agent or a member of the VPD anti-burglary team, advising that they could return to their residence after a crime scene investigation had been conducted. This agent, at this time, left the residence with Officer Weaver, standing by at the residence to assure the crime scene was secure and not contaminated any further pending the arrival of the lab men from Fresno. This agent at this time also assigned the responsibility of investigation of the burglary to Agent Arnold of the VPD anti-burglary team. Items stolen in this ransacking include three books of blue chip stamps plus several loose blue chip stamps, two found on patio rear 1501 West Guia, and one taken from Agent McGowan, victim. One blue sock was not tied at end containing one U.S. currency consisting of one $10 bill and one $2 bill, two U.S. coin consisting of six silver dollars with dates of 1879, 1885, 1892, 1971, and two with a date of 1972, 17 half dollars, two quarters, six dimes, three being mercury head type, 41 nickels, 40 being rolled and one loose, 1,516 pennies. Total value of currency and coin, $44.81. Three, foreign currency consisting of one Brazil five cinco cruzarios. Foreign coins consisting of one Mexican cinco centavos dated 1956, one Mexican 20 centavos dated 1943, one Italian 1100 dated 1969, one Brazil 1,000 race dated 1927. One Brazil, one Cruzario dated 1961. And one British colonies with a number two in the center dated 1970. And one Yugoslavia with a number 10 in the center dated 1965. Number five, one sterling silver number eight thimble. Number six, one George Washington University class ring with red stone in center, dated 1948, with initials RR on inside of band. Number seven, one 14-karat gold-plated ring with initials ML on top. Number eight, one white gold-colored ring with large clear stone simulating a diamond. Number 10, one gold-colored ring with opal stone in center, and six small opal stones surrounding it. Number 11, one white gold colored ring with clear stone, diamond. After his successful break-in on Laurel, the ransacker headed up to Jane Smith's house presumably to see if he could watch her in her bedroom or bathroom. He had no idea that Agent McGowan was also keeping an eye on Jane's room that night.